0: You could have a situation where something looks very suspicious, but if you have a closed circle of information sources that are all going to say the same thing, you really can't prove it. So those, are, those tend to be some of the more difficult ones to detect.
1: Welcome back to Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast, where we tour the property market to investigate how economics, climate change, governmental policies and technology affect everyday life. I am your host, May Claire Bolton-Smith, and I'm just as curious as you are about everything that happens in our industry. Mortgage fraud. That's a subject that doesn't crop up too often for most of us, but when it does, it's rarely punished because it's seen as a victimless crime. Despite the obvious fact that fraud is illegal, CoreLogic estimates that 131 mortgage applications had indications of fraud in the second quarter of 2022. While mortgage fraud is nowhere near the levels it reached prior to the financial crisis 15 years ago, detecting its presence remains a top concern for lenders. And this can be complicated since mortgage fraud is a term that encompasses a number of different schemes that require lenders to be on the lookout for different triggers. So to talk about mortgage fraud, what it looks like, and how to avoid it, and whether it really is a victimless crime, we have Bridget Berg, Senior Leader in Loan Solutions here at CoreLogic, Bridget, welcome to Core Conversations.
0: Thank you, May Claire, for this opportunity to chat about fraud. I'm really happy to join you for the conversation today. Well, we
1: are glad to have you here at CoreLogic and really excited to talk with you today on the podcast.
2: Before we jump into talking about mortgage fraud, I wanted to remind our listeners that we want to help you keep pace with the property market. To make it easy, we curate the latest insight and analysis for you on our social media where you can find us using the handle at CoreLogic on Facebook and LinkedIn or at CoreLogic Inc. on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. But now let's get back to Claire and Bridget. So mortgage fraud, that's
1: probably something that people would never think of. So can you just give us a brief overview of the ways in which this type of fraud can take place? and? Probably, honestly, one of the most ins- interesting things is how prevalent is it?
0: So you had mentioned that it's 100, you know, one in 131 as of a year ago, and it's about the same place today. Okay. We're at about one in 134. So as you said, it's much less prevalent than it was at the time of the financial crisis. But, um, you know, I told you I started in 1985 in the mortgage industry. The fraud risk was ramping up that entire time right it was an incipient industry um, coming out of the SNL crisis and so mortgage fraud had been building up on, and it really came to a head at the crisis yeah no um, surprise it had been yeah. pretty rampant and we've really controlled it um you know it, it finally got the attention that it needed and a lot of controls came into place but um, some of the more common types of mortgage fraud, are done to get a deal approved and closed. Okay. You know, it's just really out of necessity. Nearly everybody who's involved in a mortgage transaction has some kind of motive. And the thing about fraud is you it gets rationalized. Uh, so okay. they might say something like, well, this is a stupid rule, <laughs> or I know this person's gonna make their payments, or I really need this commission, oh. Or maybe we say, "Oh, the borrower is going to save money if we do it this way." <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, interesting. Sometimes it's sometimes it's fraud for convenience because it's just like I don't have the time to do this the way they want me to do it. Wow, I get a good shortcut yeah. and I can be more efficient. So it it hits all of those places. That
1: that is that's really interesting. And so I talk on this podcast a lot. I we recently just bought a new house and. One thing that was interesting to me was we actually got an audit um, following our mortgage and we're like, and nothing, we didn't do anything wrong. Our mortgage broker didn't do anything wrong. But I, it, to me, kind of raised the awareness that they're really on the lookout for mortgage fraud now because they were just like, oh, can you explain this to us? And you know, we had an explanation and everything was fine. But I mean, the first time we got our mortgage, we didn't get anything like that. So that was really interesting to me.
0: So that was probably a QC process, and they pick loans randomly, or they may Mm. have had a trigger. Okay. I know you were talking about some of the ways that fraud can take place, and I wanted to mention some of the people involved. And why they do it. So first off, it's the borrower. Okay. And the borrower might give you false information about the source of their down payment or their income or their credit history. Mm Mm-hmm. Or could be somebody in the loan manufacturing process, Mm -hmm. anywhere from the loan officer through the people who are selling your loan. Mm -hmm. uh, They could lie about the origin of a document, false system entries, like, oh, they really applied this day instead of that day.
1: Um,
0: They may facilitate misrepresentation by other parties, Mm -hmm. or they might actually directly create false documents, and leases would be a really common one. Interesting. Borrower needs to sell their prior home. Mm-hmm. It's not sold yet. I can't qualify with both mortgages, so right. magically I have a lease appear that covers, oh no, now they're gonna rent it out and they've got oh, more than enough money to cover interesting, the payments.
1: Interesting, interesting, wow.
0: Um, another one would be like commission parties or property sellers that may instruct the borrowers or the loan producers because they, you know, obviously they have a commission or they really wanna get that house sold
1: wow, that the, this is that's fascinating. It's really interesting because you know, I personally and I'm sure many of our listeners wouldn't think of all of the different different places where fraud actually could happen. Um and I guess the the question I have now is, do we think now in this environment, there's maybe more scrutiny for fraud now than there has been in the past?
0: It's hard to say right now, our fraud risk has been pretty flat. Mm, mm-hmm. um, we had a couple of really unusual years, right? Yeah. Um, the Everybody was hyper aware of fraud when the pandemic started because everybody was like, oh my gosh, we can't go into houses. Everything was virtual. Uh, we don't know if people are really working because we can't call them on the phone at work. Oh, wow. Um, so there was like a lot of angst around it. But what actually happened in the real estate industry is that Hey, we actually hypercharged the property market. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody was able to refinance their homes. And so we were flooded. The mortgage industry was flooded with good loans. They were just streamlined refinances, right, right of the same people yeah. on the same property to a great extent and people who really wanted to move. So we were, you know, like everybody was predicting there was going to be high fraud. During that, mm-hmm. what happened was all the fraud went to the PPP loans. To be honest,
1: <laughs> can you define those, can you define PPP loans for us?
0: Sure, those payments Protection Program. So that was a government okay. program where they were subsidizing right. employers to have, um, you know, keep people yep. working. Yep. And I think a lot of the attention at the banks went to trying to deal with the fraud that was happening. In that sector, interesting. Meanwhile, yeah. in the mortgage, in the mortgage industry, we had fairly lower risk um, because of uh, you know the interest rates were down mm-hmm. and and lenders had so many
2: um, good loans to choose from. Wow. Although lenders had plenty of good loans to choose from, there was still fraud happening. Last year, concern grew over HELOCs, or home equity lines of credit. HELOC loans, a second loan type that allows owners to borrow against their home value to access cash, don't have the same strong process that traditional first mortgages do. The result is that those looking to defraud banks can apply for multiple HELOC loans simultaneously while escaping detection. You'll hear Bridget talk more about this later in the episode. Coming out of it, now we're into
0: a lot of purchase transactions, but the markets are so tight. There's not much, much supply. So we haven't seen the fraud rise yet. Everybody's kind of like on the cusp of it. And occupancy fraud seems to be top of mind right now.
1: And what exactly is occupancy fraud?
0: Occupancy fraud usually exhibits where um, somebody misrepresents their intent to occupy the property as an owner-occupied primary. Oh, I see. Um okay. Investment properties, I mean, as you can imagine, if if you're stressed out on your finances and you're gonna let your property go, mm-hmm. you're gonna let your investment property go before your own home. Sure. Yeah. They're riskier from a credit standpoint. So they're priced higher okay. and you have less you can have a, a lower loan to value on those loans. Okay. So you don't have as as beneficial of financing terms for an investment property as you do for an owner occupied primary interesting
1: that's why there's always that question of is this going to be your primary residence yeah
0: You're right that seems to be um and then income is a perennial focus sure. yeah um yeah. for for the qualifications um
1: is fraud mortgage fraud difficult to detect are they are there triggers that make it you know them, you know, aware to look for it? Or how hard is it to detect?
0: There are so many different types of mortgage fraud. And I told you that there's a bunch of different motives and actors, and there's a lot of different complexities. So it really runs the gamut, depending on the expertise of the person who's committing the fraud. So yeah, some of them that are Mm -hmm. more just borrower, usually often quite easy to detect. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm gonna occupy the property and the underwriter can kind of see. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that you're really going to occupy that property. Right. Um, and so uh, just validating information with a trusted source. So like, hey, I went to the IRS and found out how much you make. That's a trusted source. That stops the majority of the simple attempts. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if there is a lot of motive and collusion, and it's a more complex scheme, well, many people... You know, acting together could be very difficult to detect. It may never be detected. It might be not not be detected for years. Hmm. Um, if you you could have a situation where something looks very suspicious, but if you have a closed circle of information sources that are all going to say the same thing, yeah, you really can't prove it. So those are those tend to be some of the more difficult ones to detect. Interesting.
2: It's that time again, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We're going to do the numbers in the housing market. Here's what you need to know. Home price growth is recovering. The CoreLogic S&P Case-Shiller Index published in September shows a 6% cumulative increase for 2023. And lower priced homes are seeing a particularly strong recovery. The non-seasonally adjusted month-over-month index posted its six month of gains. The result is that home prices are now up by 1% from the June 2022 peak. This is higher than the average July gain of 0.5% seen between 2015 and 2019. Las Vegas, Phoenix, and New York posted the nation's largest monthly gains about 1% each, while Portland, Oregon declined by about 0.2%. But not all price tiers are created equal. High-priced homes continued to show relative weakness and were down by 1.3% year-over-year. Similarly, demand contracted for luxury and second homes. Mid-tier home price growth remained flat while low-tier properties moved into positive territory, up 0.5% after three months of annual declines. And that's the SIP. See you next time.
0: And I wanted to say that a lot of frauds go undetected and no one ever knows. I'm sure, yeah. If you misrepresented, you know, back to the occupancy misrep. So if I misrepresent the intent to occupy a property... Um, I get my lower down payment, I get my lower fees, I get easier qualifications, as long as I pay it back and nobody ever challenges it, I you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, it's accomplished, it's unlikely to be detected. Um, so that's where we get that latent fraud okay. on the books where you've originated loans and nobody, you know, they made it through, successfully closed, um, and you don't... Always um, detect them. And you gave me the example of oh, the first time I did a mortgage, nobody ever came back and asked me any questions, but this last time they did, and there's random samples that are done, Mm -hmm. and they don't get touch every loan. It's just a very small sample. And what they do when they ask you those questions, they're not really good at identifying fraud. A lot of times they're trying to complete some required checklist to gotcha. say I did this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. They're very good though at detecting when somebody got a car loan. Oh. Right after closing, because they right, it's real easy to run a new credit report. Oh, yeah. And if it's and if it was something that happened like there right after, or if you quit your job right before closing, those things are easy to detect. Yeah. So what happens is those easy to detect frauds get overrepresented when people are looking at what kind of fraud is out there? Mm. Well, it's -hmm. the easy ones to detect that tend to get reported and that everybody knows about. Some of those tougher ones are probably sitting on the books.
1: Right. Wow. So interesting. And I guess that triggers the thought, too, that one thing that I know was quite a trend last year was home equity line of credits, or HELOC. So when we look at HELOC loan fraud specifically, is that particularly of concern for lenders? And can you, you know, kind of explain a little bit about, you know, why that might be noticeable? Or-
0: sure. So helocs usually go through a different kind of process. They're cheaper to originate. Okay. Um, they're not getting sold to the GSEs. Uh, GSCs, the government-sponsored enterprises that are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, yeah. they do. They're involved in, you know, probably eighty percent or more mm-hmm. of all loans, mm-hmm. the traditional loans, and so they have a lot of requirements. But the HELOCs, the home equity lines of credit, don't don't go through the same processes. They have streamlined processes, okay. and so often they don't get the same level of scrutiny or fraud detection checks that other loans get. Interesting. Um, so back to the misrat, the occupancy misrep, a lot of times HELOCs are not available on investment properties. Right. Okay. Um, so if yep. somebody is trying to tap their equity, um, from an investment property, they might not have a lot of good options other than trying to get that HELOC because they don't want to have to pay off that low interest rate loan from two years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, because of the streamlined processes, a lot of people don't run fraud tools against their HELOCs in the same way they would for the other okay. other types of loans. So I think we have a bigger risk right there. Um, it, it's going to probably take a while to find out. Um, HELOCs also go through different processes that they don't have you know, the same kind of QC. They don't go to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, who may, Mm -hmm. you know, do more reporting on the kinds of fraud. So some of that is gonna be unknown.
2: May Claire and Bridget spent this episode talking about what fraud is, where it happens, and why latent fraud is difficult to detect. In next week's episode, the conversation will continue as they talk about who ends up paying when someone defaults on a loan and how automation may open the door for fraud to increase. See you there. And thank
1: you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Dovenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our facts guru Erica Stanley, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Makayla Brooks. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.
2: You still there? Well, thanks for sticking around. Are you curious to know a little bit more about our guest today? Well, Bridget Berg is a senior leader in loan solutions here at CoreLogic. She began her career in the mortgage industry in 1985 and over the years has investigated and cleaned up many types of mortgage fraud and created fraud risk management programs at multiple large lenders. Today, she focuses on all aspects of helping lenders prevent and manage mortgage fraud risk using big data in the CoreLogic Mortgage Fraud Consortium Shared Intelligence. You can read her industry analysis, including a quarterly mortgage fraud brief on the CoreLogic website. The link is in the show notes.